What up, guys? Your boy Quake, and I'm back with a brand new episode of the Diverse Mentality Podcast, number 53. And I want to title this, I'm Right. The reason why is because down the line, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to discuss why I'm right and why damn near I'm always right. Damn, actually, fuck it, I'm always right. I know crazy people think like that. I am a little crazy, but there's a reason why I'm titling that because, uh, it's got, it's got a lot to do with the old debates that we had on this podcast and how, as time goes on, each debate is turning to me being right, which somebody who's dedicated their whole life to this in terms of like hip hop and studying it and all this, majority of the time they're going to be right. You know, this is some psychopathic shit I'm talking about here. I mean, I live, breathe, shit this all day. So, um, yeah, we'll talk about that later down the line. I'm not going to name the episode I'm right, but I felt like I should start like that. Let's go over the news that's happened over these couple of days. A lot of people are getting sued. Um, unfortunately, a lot of different things happening, um, lawsuits, and uh, we got, unfortunately, people getting killed and just new music and, you know, hits daily double sales and all this stuff. So let's go over it. Um, the first article is an update from last week is J. Cole, the basketball situation. So J. Cole, initially, when he left the basketball league, the BAL, um, he he said that it was a family obligation, and that's why he left. But then he now exa- uh, elaborated on it on his Instagram. So let's go over the article. J. Cole's pro basketball run has came to an end this week following three preliminary games in the Basketball Africa League, suiting up for the Ronda Wanda Patriots BBC Cole departed from Wanda and returned home reportedly due to a family obligation. After soaking in his professional basketball experience for a few days, the former St. John's walk-on summoned on his team in the BAL and plans for the future when it comes to hooping in a sincere Instagram post Thursday night. So this is what he said. He posted a picture of him and his teammates, a few pictures. He said, so many thank yous are due. Thank you to the BAL and and to the Patriots BBC for the opportunity. Thank you to my teammates, the coaches, and staff for treating me like family. I learned so much in the few weeks we were together. Congrats on that win tonight and good luck next game. Thank you to Puma for supporting a dream from day one and getting me to Rwanda and back safely via the Puma jet. Thank you to the entire country of Rwanda and to the city of Kigali, I'm pronouncing that right, for hosting us, beautiful land with beautiful people to anyone considering visiting or moving to the continent. From everything I saw and heard, I would recommend you consider Kigali and Rwanda in general. Thank you to everybody that had kind words for me despite my inexperience. And this is the thing that kind of caught my attention, everybody's attention. I plan to get better. So this definitely isn't the end for J. Cole when it comes to basketball. He's definitely looking to see if he can come back, maybe to the same team, or just get better and then, you know, work with a different team. I mean, he's in his, what, early 30s, late 20s, something like that. So in basketball, usually when you reach your 30s is when things slowly start to go downhill, depending on how you take care of your body. But um, I'm sure J. Cole isn't going to be um, – actually, J. Cole is 36. Let me see. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bad. I didn't even continue this article. He's 36. Damn, he's older than I expect. Yeah, he's 36. So that's LeBron's age. Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely hard to play ball when you're that age. It's a lot harder. But, I mean, if he plays a little bit just as, like, a supporting cast for a certain team, I'm sure it'll be all right. But, yeah, I mean, he brought lots of eyes to the BAL, and I'm sure they appreciate that. He was in for three games, and... You know, it was a great run. At least he got a chance to experience what it's like to be on a basketball stage and perform. That's dope, you know, even though, you know, he probably didn't perform as great as he wanted to. You know, he said, I plan on to get better, but it's just the fact that he, he had the chance to do that. A lot of people want, no matter what your age is, always go after your dreams. I don't really care what age you are. I don't care if you're 50 years old and trying to make music. Sometimes that works, and it's just how dedicated you are, how consistent you are. How much willing are you to get better? All that stuff and take in, soak in information, all that. You know, a lot of people think age with age comes like a deadline, which no, there's no deadline. You know, a lot of a lot of rappers that are legendary now start in their late 20s, early 30s. If you look at it, 
nowadays just with social media, a lot of artists, they start young, you know, 18, 20s because of social media and internet and stuff like that. But back then, a lot of rappers started in the late 20s, man. You got 50 Cent, Eminem, Jay-Z, a bunch, man. A lot of people that started in their late 20s. So there's nothing wrong with starting a little bit later, perfecting your craft and whatever it is. And yeah, you'll make it. It's just consistency. That's the thing that people lack a lot is consistency. And just wanting to get better, too. You can't just assume you're the best when you get into something, you know. And you can't be afraid to suck at something. You know, once you start at anything, even with me at this podcast. And I mean, as time went on, we got a little bit better with the camera angles, a little bit better with how I talk, a little bit better with this and that. Simple little things, tweaks. As time gets on, you get better and better. And I'm sure when I get more and more artists in here, I'm going to get better with that in terms of interviewing, having conversations. So, you know, in the beginning, you always suck at everything. So, but yeah, just go ahead and pursue your dreams. Sorry with that crazy ass speech. I always get into crazy speeches, but this is uh, crazy because Boozy just got out of a shooting incident when he was visiting the funeral of Mo, um, the rapper Mo that passed away in Houston. So Boozy was shooting a music video, I think on Saturday. So yesterday, May 29th and in the music video, there's just a bunch of people, you know, with a rapper, like, holding a gun. and just, you know, rapper shit. And apparently, shots rang off and someone was found dead. So let's go over the article. Boozy Badass was filming a music video in Huntersville, Alabama on Saturday, May 29th. When shots reportedly rang out, TMZ claims at least one person was hit during the incident, resulting in serious injury. But according to Vlad, that person has died. The Huntsville Police Department said officers responded to a report Shots fired around 4.30 p.m. local time, and when they arrived, they discovered between 50 and 100 people fleeing the scene, either by foot or in vehicles. Police found one man who was in his 20s sprawled out on the ground with a gunshot wound. EMTs transported the man to a local hospital where he was initially listed in critical condition. No motive has been determined, nor any suspects been taken into custody, but Boosie walked away without injury. In a clip making the rounds on social media, Boozy and several other people are rapping along to the song when gunshots are heard in the background and everyone scrambles. As you guys know, like I said earlier, Boozy is the victim of gun violence back in November 2020 when he was in Dallas visiting the funeral. He got shot and, you know, he recovered, but he got shot in the leg. So, yeah, I'm sure Boozy's probably double checking what music videos he decides to go to because this guy, based off the video clip, I don't know who this guy is in terms of rappers. Might be a new rapper that Boozy just because a lot of new rappers they'll 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 pay like a good fee of fifty thousand, hundred thousand to get like an established rapper on their track because they got the money to do it. So then they'll ask you know, hey, we'll pay you more if you come and show up to the music video. And mind you, a lot of these rappers they're just showing up to random hoods. They have no idea what's going on, what beef these rappers have with other people in their hood. But I'm sure Boozy obviously looks like Boozy had security based off that. But still, you know, security is not. They're not God. They can't stop everything. So I'm sure, you know, things can ring off easily. With So if you look at the clip, it's it's just like they're, they're rapping, they're rapping, and then all of a sudden you're pop, 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 and they're all scattering immediately. But the guy in the video clip has like a huge AK, which I would hope in a music video if you're shooting it, it's not loaded because that shit rings off. Somebody's going to die too. So you don't want that happening. But uh, condolences to the person who passed away. That's definitely a sad situation and, who knows what kind of history that those people had over there. Uh, lawsuit again for Juice World, man. Uh, Juice World dropped the anniversary edition of his album this past week with a couple of new tracks. Uh, we'll go over that later down the line. But this is another lawsuit for Juice World. He had the issue with Sting when it comes to Lucid Dreams. Now Sting owns like 90% of the record, I believe 85%. And now he has another lawsuit for a track called Scared of Love which sucks. I mean, this guy's passed away. His estate's probably having to deal with a bunch of stupid lawsuits that make no sense. But this is interesting. So let's go over the article. Juice World's estate is facing a brand new lawsuit, this time over a single from his 2018 Goodbye and Good Riddance album. According to TMZ, an artist by the name of Ghost Loft is suing the late rapper's estate over Scared of Love, claiming the song contains 16 bars Ghost Loft originally crafted for, the, for a single titled so High, which was released in 2013. In court documents, Ghost Loft claims Juice World and Mitch Moolah are the lone wired credited on Scared of Love. However, according to Ghost Loft, Moolah admitted to sampling his 2013 song, saying Scared wouldn't exist without the original. Okay, 
So he does have a case here, if that's the truth. The rapper is suing Juice World's mother and executor of his estate, Carmela Wallace. Mitch Mueller, Universal Music Group, and Interscope in his lawsuit. Ghost Loft is seeking damages and injunction, which prohibits Juice World's estate from profiting off the single and a writing credit to boot. The suit is in the latest of string lawsuits against the late rapper, including famous lawsuit against Lucid Dream single in 2019, as we know. Um, yeah, so Juice World, he's still doing numbers, man. The albums are still doing numbers. People are still bumping him. So, of course, people see a way to get money. And obviously, if they if they took 16 bars, which is that's some decent amount of bars from a song. Honestly, if you took like four bars, usually you can get away with that. You know, if you could say, hey, it's just this and that and blah, blah, blah. You can kind of get away with that. Depends on how you're saying it, though. That's another thing. But 16 bars is really, really hard to debate that, hey, you know, this is our idea. And plus, the producer admitted that, you know, if it wasn't for those 16 bars, this track probably won't even exist. So he does have a case here. I'm curious to see how much money he wants out of it. I know Sting made so much money. He said he could pay for his kids, 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 uh what is it? Kids, 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 college tuitions and all that. And he makes uh, 700000 a year off Diddy's I'll Be Missing You sample too because he never cleared that. So Sting is makes a lot of money from samples, man. A lot of people sample his songs. And that guy is just, just off samples alone. This is why it's important to own your masters, own everything, or at least most of everything. So when things like this happen, you get paid out of this. So Sting definitely has his paperwork right, and he's getting paid handsomely. Just 700000 a year off the Diddy record. Just that. And he hasn't released, Sting hasn't released music, I believe, in a while. So just off that Diddy record, he's getting 700000 Imagine Lucid Dreams, which is still bumping like crazy. They just released the remix with Lil Uzi Vert, so it's going to boost the streams off that. Imagine that, how much that's making. That's If that Diddy record, which is old as fuck, that came out in 19, well, after Biggie passed, so 1997, 1998, that record's getting 700000 a year. Imagine what this Juice World record is bringing in. Probably 2 to $3 million a year. And now with this remix, probably going to get boosted at least for this year. So he's getting paid off of just people sampling his shit. He's getting paid handsomely. I'm sure he's getting 10 to 15 maybe $20 million a year off all this shit. So he's retired. He doesn't have to do shit. He was courtside with 50 at the Hawks and Knicks game. So... He's probably just enjoying all kinds of bread, which is smart, man. Get your business together, and there you go. You're getting all kinds of money. But I'll keep my eye on this Juice World thing. Rick Ross is getting sued for stifing a St. Louis concert promoter for $30,000. Rick Ross is reportedly being sued by St. Louis concert promoters Antoine Meeks and Orlando Watson for missing a show he was scheduled to perform on January 11, 2020. The two music promoters and the respective companies Black Luxury Entertainment, LLC, and Rock House Entertainment are taking Rosé to court after his concert at the pageant was canceled. A lawsuit filed in St. Louis Circuit Court in May says the parties contract with the rapper and Rick Ross touring LLC. In the contract signed in October 2019, the suit says the plaintiffs agreed to pay Rick Ross $60,000 for his appearance at the venue. Meeks, Watson, and their companies allegedly paid Rick Ross $30,000 at the time of the booking were due to pay the rest when he arrived at the event on the day. The suit says Rick Ross failed to appear at the show with the plaintiffs claiming to be $74,000 out of pocket as well as booking price. They say $6,000 was spent on venue along with further $3,300 on travel and accommodations, $4,100 on marketing and promotions, and $25,000 on production cost. A message was allegedly sent to an email address associated with Rick Ross but didn't receive a reply. Meeks and Watson's attorney, Thayer Weaver, says the attempt, they attempted to reschedule the concert at no success, claiming the rapper ignored calls and pointed out the fact he struggled to track where Ross's business entities were organized. As well as Rick Ross being sued, his Georgia estate was the scene of a chaotic police chase earlier this month. Yeah, the guy that tried to go into his house, he ended up die, dying after that. But yeah, this is... This is another issue with a lot of rappers due to the COVID thing. A lot of things got rescheduled, but it's bad business not to respond to somebody when, you know, you already paid them half the money. I've been in this situation. It's the worst situation to be in because you're giving them money and then all of a sudden they stop responding. And it's just, it's like, come on, man, Rick Ross, 30,000 ain't that bad for you. I'm sure you can, you make a shit ton of money. So that's the thing. It's like the problem when I have is when, (laughs) 
like, and this happened to me a lot of times. This is why I get mad about the situation is like, if you're struggling that much for money, like for example, I had a recent situation where I paid someone half of $150 cause it was a project that I paid 300 for to get done. I paid the person half of 150 and they just stopped responding. But luckily I got my money back due, uh, through, through a uh, cash app, but it's like, come on. Like if you're that struggling for money, like why not just do the work, get a good name, you know, and you know, people will start coming to you more and just be respectful, man. If you can't do the project or you just stop responding and try to take the 150, I'm like, damn, you're struggling that badly. $150 that you're willing to just run away and not respond. Like, damn, man, it's not that like do great business and you'll get more money. Like, especially out of me, if I, if I see good business being done, I will consistently go to you and I'm loyal like that. Like ask my graphic designer, ask a lot of people that I've done business with. I stay with them forever, especially if the business is good. I've never had any problems. So why, you know, I just never understood that from people. Why just run away with a little bit of money? Like Rick Ross, 30,000 to him based off how he talks, based off, I know a lot of his life is fabricated, but based off how he talks, that 30,000 shouldn't be shit to him. That's like the 150 for me. That 150 wasn't shit to me. If I never got it back, yeah, it sucked. Obviously bad business, but it doesn't really matter. 150 is not going to kill me in the long run. And I'm sure this 30,000 is going to kill him in the long run. So why do bad business like that? Why, you know, it just puts a bad name on, you know, on your whole business and you as a person and karma, man, karma. Why, why fuck somebody over? Probably I'm sure those people at 30,000 was a lot of money. So that's why they're seeking damages and they're suing and all that promotion they put into it. Bad business. The game is getting sued for the exact same thing. The game is a little bit more serious because he had a whole tour in Australia planned. Um, he's ordered to pay five hundred thousand for a canceled Australia Australia tour. Let's go over the article. The game is reportedly in trouble regarding a 2017 Australia tour run that happened to be canceled, according to the Daily Mail. An Australian federal court ruled that the game and his agent must pay back about 500000 and legal fees for promoters, tour squad. Damn, game is beginning to sued left and right and having to owe so much people money, man. I know game ain't broke. I'm not saying anything like, yo, he's broke, but damn, that's a lot of money. You have that one girl that sued you for millions and one, you got them for 500000 and money's just flying out of game's pocket. This definitely ain't a good look. Uh, let's continue the article. Justice... Justice Sarah Darrington reportedly ordered the Compton native to fork over $478,000 in damages plus interest of $78,000 to be exact for the seven-city tour that never was. Stops were expected across Australia, Staples, and Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, and Perth. I'm pronouncing those right. Uh, negotiation between the game and tour squad came to a screeching halt when they hit a roadblock over tour squad's refusal to fund the game's tour documentary for more than $3 million. The game also requested that he, that he have a 15-man entourage with him that would have all their expenses paid on the Australian trek. On the other hand, the game also upped his performance fee from 32100 to 51340 which threw another wrench in their negotiations. All in all, Justin Darrington determined that the game backing out of the deal was a breach of contract with tour squad. So yeah, man. Um, there's also, also in 2020 Australian rapper, YC E W Z Y put the game on blast for scamming Australian artists. Uh, easy threatened the game saying he's banned from Australia next time he paid. Yeah. Game was getting scamming things too. When he was doing those like promotions for upcoming artists. Yeah, man, this like I said, it just goes back to the lacrosse thing. This is bad for your name, brand, all that shit. Game has got to do better. 500,000 you owe. And, and, and here's the, like the, the uh, constituencies on this is ridiculous. He asked for $3 million in funding for his tour documentary. Like, why the fuck would I agree to that? And then pay the expenses for his 15-man entourage. Game. I understand when you're a new rapper, they have a bunch of entourages, but yo, you're you're OG here. This is 2017. So why the fuck do you need a 15-man entourage? You need maybe, maybe, max, seven to eight people. Maybe. 15 people? Why the fuck are you bringing 15 people for? 
And then he upped his performance fee from thirty two thousand to fifty one thousand. That's that's not honorable. Obviously, if we if we if I present to you a contract, you agree to it, and then as soon as we get stuff done, you up everything and change everything. Obviously, there's gonna be disagreements. I'm not gonna agree with this shit. That's a lot of money, man. Besides, thirty two thousand a show. What was how many shows was there? Let me see. Rule. I thought I think it was seven city. I don't even know the fucking math. Let me do my math on this shit. I'm horrible at math. So thirty two thousand a show, seven. Probably somebody's gonna be like, "Yo, that's this this thirty two thousand times seven. That's two hundred twenty four thousand dollars a game is set to be paid from that. So to do seven shows, two hundred basically a quarter of a million dollars. That's good money, man. Shit, he wanted fifty one thousand. Let's do the math on that. How much that would be? Up fifty one thousand times seven, three hundred fifty seven thousand. So. Hey man, two hundred a quarter of a million dollars to do seven cities—that's not bad, man. Especially for a rapper like Game. Not saying that he fell off, but he's not like the Game when he was back in two thousand five, two thousand six. That's still good money, shit. Thirty k a show. A lot of rappers ain't getting that. And they've been fucking—they're new. So, speaking of money, man, Jay Z and Beyonce. Uh, this is a smart investment. Initially, I read this, I was like, why spend money on this? A lot of people were like, Twitter were responding and saying, yo. Yo, why are you investing in depreciating assets? Well, let's go over and let me tell y'all why this isn't a depreciating asset. Let me get a drink quick. So, Jay-Z and Beyonce have essentially purchased the world's most expensive car. Now, immediately, obviously, cars depreciate. We know that. But this is one of one. It's a Rolls-Royce. And because it's one of one and because... It's not electrical, it's gas. A lot of gas vehicles are probably going to skyrocket in price, especially if you get special ones, because as time goes on, gas is going to become extinct, and then electric is going to take over. So let's go over the article. Jay-Z and his wife, Beyonce, have accumulated an enormous amount of wealth over the span of their successful careers. The hip-hop power couple is not shy about their wealth either, as they made some extravagant purchases over the years, but it seems they have made their most expensive purchase yet. According to the report by Page Six, Jay-Z and Beyonce are rumored to be buyers of Rolls-Royce's new $28 million boat tail convertible car. The $28 million price tag makes it the most expensive car in the world. An industry insider told the UK's Telegraph the reason why the Carters are believed to be buyers is that the car comes equipped with details matching their favorite things. Yeah, of course, that's the reason why they bought it. This Rolls-Royce posted and said introducing Rolls-Royce boat tail. Based on true commission model, Rolls-Royce coach build challenges the notion of what a motor car is and creates a new definition of what a motor car means. Now, if you look at these photos, like the back of it opens up. It's like a table, a fucking dining room table. It's weird. At the press of a button, boat tail's deck opens up in a sweeping butterfly gesture revealing an intricate hosting suite. Its movement evokes Cantil- I don't even know these big ass words. These are rich words. Concept explored by renowned architect Santiago Calatrava. Shout out to Santiago. Yeah, but yeah, the, it's like open ups with umbrella. It's like basically a dining table. Some some crazy shit. Uh, you know, obviously Jay Z and Beyonce can afford that, but this car is gonna go up in value. It's one of one, from what I know. It's super rare. Any vehicle like that, especially if it's taken care of, pristine condition, is going to be worth, especially with the gas going out, like I said, it's probably going to be worth double the price within 20 years, 10 to 15, maybe even 20 years. So this isn't a loss. Now, if you're buying just a regular, regular deck of the car that's seen everywhere, you know, then, you know, you're taking a loss. Obviously, it's a liability. But a lot of cars like Toyota Supras, right, that are from Fast and the Furious, 1999 models, models that are, are in its original state, and have decently low miles, those are rare and actually gone up in price. There's a lot of vehicles that have gone up in price as time went on, depending on how how well taken care of they are and if they have all their original parts. That's the thing that I don't like to do with my cars, right? Um, I said cars, like I own multiple cars. I only own one car, the Audi RS5 that I have. Um, I don't like changing the inside of it. Like I've done outside, I've changed the wheels, which are easy to get replaced. You can put the original OEMs if you wanted to back on there. And all I did was wrap the car. And I did an air intake, which these things are all easy to replace. You can take them all off, put them right back on. But I'm not going to keep that car forever because that car is obviously going to depreciate value. There's nothing special about it. I'm looking to get down the line, hopefully, 
an Audi R8, a specific gas one that's the most recent model because I know down the line, those are going to be worth a lot more as time goes on. So that would be an investment, and that's my favorite. That's my dream car in the world. That's like my best. That's, I could have the best. Like Once I get that car and I get a certain house that I want, I'm at that point, I've in my eyes, I've become successful. I don't care what other people say. Obviously, what matters is what you deem successful. Other people have different gauges of what they deem successful. Some people want it all. Some people don't care. They're content with what they got. And, you know, it's perfect for everybody. I, you know, whatever you like, it's your life. Me, personally, I have a certain set goal. I want the Audi RE. I have to have that. That's a successful thing. Like, in terms of cars, I don't care if I never get any other car. That's the top-of-the-line car that I like in terms of right now. And I'll be happy with that. That's successful to me in terms of car-wise. And then house, I have a certain type of house that I want, a certain price point. I get that the way I want it. I'm successful at that point. There's nothing nobody can tell me. I don't give a shit if everything I do flops after that. I've already reached my goals with the cherry on top. So, yeah, I was getting off track here like I usually do. But, um, yeah, smart investment. It's going to go up. And a lot of cars, they do go up in value. Not every single car depreciates. A lot of people forget that. Depends on what kind of car. And take care of If you know you have a rare car, take care of it, man. Buy a beater. Keep that car in the garage. Don't drive it often. And who knows, down the line, it could be worth a lot more. So, especially if movies, like if movies take on certain cars, they have an extended life, like, especially with the Fast and Furious series. When they took on the the Toyota Supra, the Mitsubishi Eclipse, all these vehicles, the Evo, the Lancer, all that shit, um, the Honda S2000, all these vehicles ended up becoming a lot more in price. So, down the line, that can happen, like... I don't know, maybe there's, like the Iron Man did with R8, that, that kind of made it something legendary because the Iron Man was driving the Audi R8. You know, there's movies that do that. You know, a lot of culture, you know, Teslas, now Teslas are cool because rappers are rapping about it. But even a Tesla, there might be a value that goes up in a Tesla, like the first electrical models, and then people can point and be like, yo, that's, that, you know, that's the first time we really got a proper electrical vehicle, and that might go up in value. You never know. So, especially with cryptocurrency nowadays, it's crazy. The BT Awards 2021, they've announced the nominations. Let's go over all. This is not the Hip Hop Awards. This is just the regular BET Awards. This is all genres of music. And um, it's interesting. These nominations are interesting. So for Album of the Year, they got After Hours of the Weekend, Blame It on Baby the Baby, Good News, Megan The Stallion, Hawks Tales, Jasmine Sullivan, uh, King's Disease, Nas, and Ungodly Hour, Cleo X Haley. I'm surprised they don't have no pop smoke here. Uh, best Collaboration, Cardi B, uh, WAP with Megan Thee Stallion, the baby Roddy Rich rock star, DJ Khaled Drake pop star, Jack Harlow what's poppin' remix, Megan Thee Stallion, the baby cry baby, pop smoke, low baby the baby for the nights. So that's one possible nomination. Best female R and B and pop artist Beyonce, her Jasmine Sullivan, Jenny Aiko, Summer Walker, SZA. Best male R and B pop artist Black, Anderson Pack, Chris Brown, Givon, Tank, The Weeknd. Best new artist. This is an interesting list. Koi Larey, Flo Millie, Jivion, Jack Harlow. Lotto, and then Pooh Shiesty. Best group, 21 Savage and Metro Boomin. They should win that. Cleo Haley, Chris Brown and Young Thug, City Girls, Migos, Silk Sonic. Best female hip-hop artist, Cardi B, Coy LeRae, Doja Cat, Megan Thee Stallion, Lotto, Sweetie. Best male hip-hop artist, The Baby, Drake, J. Cole, Jack Harlow, Lil Baby, and Pop Smoke. Then you got Gospel. You got Best Her Award, Best International Act. Viewers' Choice Award. Video of the Year. Cardi B Up. Cardi B Megan Thee Stallion Wop. Chloe Haley Do It. Chris Brown Young Thug Go Crazy. Dirk Drake Laugh Now Cry Later. Silk Sonic Leave the Door Open. Um, yeah, there's a few best ad tricks. Yeah, these are all the rest are like sports and shit and actors. But possible has been nominated for a few. Mainly Megan Thee Stallion The Baby is what I see on here. The Baby's bound and win one. Look at this. Just beg, Best Collaboration. He's on three, actually, he's on four out of, he's on four out of the six nominations. Look at this. The Baby Roddy Rich Rockstar, Jack Harlow featuring The Baby, What's Poppin' Remix, Megan Thee Stallion featuring The Baby, Cry Baby. Uh, that's a fucking stupid title. I didn't even realize that was The Baby Cry Baby's title. Anyways, Pop Smoke, Little Baby, The Baby for the Night. So look at that. That's four out of the six. So his chances are fucking crazy for best collaboration. Yeah, the baby's had a hell of a year. Megan Thee Stallion and the baby are leading the nominations with seven nominations each. And then Pac Smoke's got a few here. So I hope Pac Smoke wins at least one. That'd be dope. But I'll keep my eye on that. I believe the show, when does this come on? Let me get let me get a time and day for you guys. 
Usually it comes on in June sometime. Let me see. Let me see. Why do they have it in the article, man? It's just the fucking first thing. It's finally time to celebrate. The nomination 2020 awards are in reflective. Okay, so Sunday, June 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern. So Sunday, June 27th. That's roughly in about a month. So keep my eye out on that, and we'll see. Back to Jay-Z, and this is where I'm going to get into my I'm right mode because I need to talk my shit because I was getting chastised. You guys remember. There's, okay, first before I get into it, let me go over the... So Jay-Z was on LeBron's The Shop show. And obviously Jay-Z never does, inter- never does interviews, but it was basically a conversation. And he talked about a lot of wide various things. It was a 30-minute um, episode. And, you know, he got asked about writing Still Dre for Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. And he talked about how on the reference track, he said, I'm doing Dre and Snoop's vocals. The reference track sounds like them. The Foxy Brown reference, I'm glad nobody can find that one, but you got to have somewhat of a reference for them. Obviously, the music they were making with the chronic and all that, in order for me to get really nail the essence of Dre and Snoop, had to be like a studied reverence of what they were doing, even to put myself in their shoes. Because think about that record. The record comes after Dre leaves death row. How? My last album was the chronic. That's what he's... So Dre, first off, Jay-Z killed that Still Dre record, by the way. Perfection. And yeah, those reference tracks, I want to hear. Like, imagine Jay-Z trying to sound like Snoop and Dr. Dre on the track. Obviously, you got to do that for reference purposes, which, you know, but it's just funny. He says, nobody can find the Foxy Brown one, but I'm sure somebody's going to come out with a reference track for the um, Jay-Z, Jay-Z version. But that was a dope conversation that he had. He also talked about how intimidated, not really intimidated, but how he was in awe of DMX's uh, concert performance presence. He was like when when they went on tour all together, you remember watching DMX come out and then he came out to the intro track off his first debut album, the dun dun, that record. One, two, one, two, come through, gun through. That record, um, he said the crowd was just going crazy. And then like he said, mid-concert, DMX ripped off his shirt and then the ladies were going crazy too. And then he um, he ended it with like a prayer and people were crying and just a wave of emotions and jay-z was like in awe he's like how the fuck he had to come right after this so he's like how am i supposed to top this and then he was like this is the funny part he's like when when he came out after all that he wasn't coming out to any hard music he was coming out to the hard not life the it's a hard not life dun, dun. like those you know he was like bro it was a soft it was like he's like he felt very out of place but he eventually said you know i had to figure out my way in this and how to fit in perfectly so he eventually figured it out but that was just a dope story that he was telling about DMX. And then here's the part where I'm right. And I'm talking my shit on this because I got killed. I got killed. I swear to God, if you guys go to the episode, I believe it's episode 16, where the title is, Is Jay-Z Overrated? I think it's number 16. Let me actually look that up because I don't want to fuck this up. I believe it's 16. And you guys, and a lot of you guys, not all of you, but a lot of you guys were attacking me when I said Jay-Z never had a dominant year in hip-hop. He never did. And people were like, yo, listen. It was number 16. Yeah, it's Jay-Z overrated. Listen. So I remember Sean was here and even my brother Vito was here. They were trying to make points. Hey, this year, this year, this year. And I understand where they were coming from. What they were looking at it from, and I'm, I wasn't looking at it this way, was culture and, you know, everybody has different experiences during those years. Everybody has different things. Like maybe me and my brother were focused more on Eminem and he was focused more on Jay-Z. That's why it seemed like, hey, you know, I was wrong. But I was just looking at numbers. That's all I was looking at is just numbers. I didn't give a fuck about influence, impact, because that's all opinion. When you really look at it, how you were influenced in 2001 and 2003 and 2007, that's all on what you were listening to. That really has nothing to do with anything. I just look at numbers. And on the shop, Jay-Z basically backed up what I was fucking saying that everybody was attacking me for, which pissed me off because I was like, aren't you guys, you guys aren't fucking seeing this. I don't understand how else I can explain this to you guys. And not to sound like a dick, but I'm damn near always right. Damn near always right. That's why I said in the beginning of the episode, I feel like I'm always right. Eventually in time, it's going to come out that I'm right with the little Dirk and NBA Youngboy. I came out right in that situation. Any argument that we essentially had I eventually came out right, and from what I can think of, the Jay Z being 
not, not the argument of him being overrated, but the argument of him never having a dominant year, I was right about. And Jay-Z himself has confirmed it. So where the fuck is my apologies, everybody? Everybody I was hating in the comments, talking about I'm a Jay-Z hater. I'm not a Jay-Z hater. Let me, first, let me get this out there. Jay-Z is the most consistent rapper alongside Eminem. There really isn't many you can name. The most consistent and longevity perfect. Right? Jay-Z's career is amazing. There's nothing to take away from Jay-Z. Great rapper, great everything. Perfect. But, and Jay-Z even agrees when he says this. I'll read, I'll read him word for word what he says. And if I can use the clip and put it in audio form, I will put the clip in so you can hear from his mouth clearly. This is what Jay-Z, Jay-Z said word for word. And this confirms everything. If Sean and Vito were here, I'd have him shut up right now. I'm going to pretend like they're here. There's a seat over there. Hey, Vito, you're wrong. Sean, you're wrong. Look, this is what Jay-Z said word for word. If you think about it, I was never, never, never the biggest selling rapper ever. I was always just running my own race. And there you go. And there you have it. Let me, let me, hold on. See what well, well the sound effects. Yeah, put the flex bomb on this bitch. I was right. He said, if you think about it, I was never, never the biggest selling rapper ever. Never. Never, never, never. I was just running my own race. Got so Jay-Z himself said it. I, there's nothing more anybody could argue with me. I was going to give him 2009. We made the argument, but Eminem at the end of the day outsold him with relapse. Crack a bottle went number one as well. But yeah, there you go. That was my point. My point was Jay-Z never had a dominant year and Jay-Z himself just said it. He himself said it. So there is no debating that anymore. I'm glad Jay-Z said it because there's nothing to take away from Jay-Z's career. It doesn't make him a worse rapper. It doesn't make him a shitty rapper. It doesn't take away from his career at all. It doesn't. Because the fact is, who gives a shit that he wasn't the biggest selling that year? Because he still outstood all of them. He still has longevity. He's still relevant. He's a billionaire. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. My point was just that, hey, he's never really had a dominant year. And that's why I felt like he was super overrated at the time. Because I was like, you know, he's never really had that year. But whoa, shit, it was just Jay-Z, Jay-Z, Jay-Z. There's no argument you can make. 1999, DMX comes out with two albums, dominates. Someone mentioned 2001, DMX was still dominating that year. Mentioned 2000, Eminem was doing 1. fucking seven million first week. 2002, Eminem, Eminem show was killing it. 2003, 50 Cent was killing it. De- demolished the Black Album, Jay-Z Black Album. Whatever year it is that you can point to, there was somebody that did better. 2006, I believe it was, I don't know who we looked at for 2006. I don't remember, but there's somebody who was doing better in 2006. Then you look at fucking 2007 when he dropped, uh, what is it, that other album, uh, fucking... Uh, American Gangster, you know, you had Kanye dominating. Kanye was fucking killing everybody at the time. Um, and you could argue, you know, hey, that's Kanye, that's Jay-Z's artist. Whatever, Jay-Z himself, he just admitted it, never had a dominant year, and there's nothing wrong with that, guys. There's nothing wrong with that. Please, if you were shitting on me in the comments, I'm going to find out everybody's name that was on there shitting on me in the comments. I demand an apology right now. Right now. Right fucking now, I demand an apology. Because even when I'm wrong, I'm right. That's the crazy cycle mentality I have. Even when I'm wrong, I'm right, no matter what. You ever heard that <laughs> that movie, The Get Rich or Die Trying quote? Uh, what is that guy? He's like, even when I'm wrong, I'm right. When I'm right, I think I'm wrong. I don't know, some shit. It was funny as hell. It was the guy who's in the, sitting in the, uh, the guy, you know, the the guy who got him out 50 out of jail on the Get Rich or Die Trying movie. And then the guy was sitting in the back and he was fidgeting. And he was like, yo. And then he's like, even when I'm wrong, I'm right when I'm wrong. It was some crazy shit. But that's how I feel. So, yeah, man. Uh, no, no, no disrespect to Jay Z at all. Like I said, just he admitted himself he never had the dominant year, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, guys. There's nothing wrong with that. Another debate that was interesting that I kept seeing on social media is who was on the Mount Rushmore of the 2010s. And Rap Caviar, I think, delivered this in a photo, and it was like J. Cole, Drake, Kendrick, and then there was one missing, you know, because you need four. There was one missing with a, with a question mark. Now, the responses that I saw made sense. Um, the first one I saw a lot was Future. Future was delivering consistent from 2010 to 2020. I feel like towards 2000, probably after 2017, kind of, you know, those three years kind of fizzled out. But there was a few years where he's kind of iffy, like the Honest album 
eh, a lot of people weren't really feeling it. So, yeah, you could argue future, though. Future is a good argument. And then Nicki Minaj was another argument. Nicki Minaj had a dominant 2010s till, but she kind of fizzled out in like 2000, you want to say 16, 17. So, you know, um, but that's a good argument. It doesn't matter. She lasted, what, seven, eight years out of the 2010, 2020. Um, but here's my argument. This is what I'm going to say. And obviously, number-wise, you could you could say, nah, Quake, you know, number-wise, he's not up there with all these artists. And I would agree, you know, number-wise, he's definitely not up there. But consistency in terms of my life and my point of view, and this is the thing when I was talking about with Jay-Z, in your life, your point of view is different. What you were listening to is different. You know, so I'm not going off of, well, I mean, you can kind of go off of sales. If we're going off sales, it's either Nicki Minaj or Future. I'm actually willing to give it to Nicki Minaj a little bit more because she had pop records that were just skyrocketing. And Future Moore had street records. He didn't have a number one or anything like that um, or anything in the, well, he had a few top 10 records, but a lot of it was with Drake too, like Life is Good and shit like that. Um, but my argument for the Mount Rushmore was Kevin Gates. Now, I know you guys are going to chastise me, but what the fuck? Why Kevin Gates? Why Kevin Gates? Ah. Kevin Gates has been delivering a consistent mixtape or album Almost every single year. Let's go over the actual discography so I can prove my point. And at one point, he was dominating. In 2016, he had the second best-selling album buying Drake with no features. So that's all from 2010 till 2020. So let's go over it. He had 2010 dropped a leak, which was a mixtape. Then 2011, I don't know what to call it, volume one. Then 2012, make him believe. 2012, in the meantime, the Luca Brassi story in 2013, Stranger Than Fiction 2013, which were fire mixtapes, by the way, by any means 2014, Luca Brassi 2 in 2014, which I don't get tired and all these other records that he had, Murder for Hire in 2015, Murder for Hire 2 in 2016, by any means 2 in 2017, Luca Brassi 3, which is a classic to me in 2018, Only the General's Part 2 in 2021, which we can't count, but every year he's delivering something almost every single year. And then he had two albums come out, which was Isla. That went double platinum. All the singles were top five. Uh, yeah, best-selling album behind Drake with no features. And then he released his second album. That went gold in 2019. A few, I believe some of the records were top 20. But yeah, so he's always, he's always been consistent to me, always delivered quality content. So to me personally, in that Mount Rushmore of the 2010s, I would give it to Kevin Gates. It goes in no order, just J. Cole, Drake, Kendrick Lamar, Kevin Gates. Now, I know you guys are probably like, Kevin Gates, you know, he seems so out of place in that, but Kevin Gates can rap, man. Listen to the music. He can rap. He definitely can rap. So he can, I don't know if he can hold his own with Kendrick and all of them. Maybe he can, but he can rap, man. Don't, don't, don't count out Kevin Gates. Kevin Gates is a very good artist, man. If you haven't heard his music, so many records that I can point to you that are amazing, you know. Um, so... Yeah, the Luca Brassi 3 project is one of my favorites. So if you ever want to check out an album or project from him, Luca Brassi 3 is one of them. Um, yeah, so that's my argument for the 2010s of Mount Rushmore. I can understand Nicki Minaj. I can understand Future. I really can't think of anybody else like who was consistent, consistent. Because there were a lot of artists that dominated for a few years but then kind of just fizzled out. Um, I don't know. People are arguing Kanye West, which I can't see. He had the beginning of the 2010s, but other than that, he didn't really have anything else. Um, what else in the 2010s? You could argue Eminem, again, in the Mount Rushmore, but Eminem already dominated 2000, so you can put him in that 2000. I mean, we could look at every single, like, year, Mount Rushmore of 2000s. We can put that. I would go, no, nah, I'm not going to get into that because that's a little more. I got to look into that a little bit more. I was just looking at 2010s. But yeah, there really isn't, I don't know. Like I said, it's hard because... You need somebody that's consistent and that's delivering good numbers. Now, Kevin Gates release releasing a lot of consistent mixtapes and then finally released his album, The Double Platinum, which is good numbers. And his second album, The Gold, which is still decently good numbers. So he is delivering numbers. He just didn't deliver a lot of albums because he was still building up and releasing mixtapes and stuff. So I give it to Kevin Gates. I would like to hear your guys' thoughts on that, but I think my argument in Kevin Gates is perfect. Let's go over the new music then. Uh, DMX released his pos first posthumous album, <clears throat> Um, let me get a drink quick. Uh, DMX released his first posthumous album, Exodus. And if you guys remember, um, I'm actually, I go on Twitch and react to these albums first time listening. 
So check me out, twitch.tv forward slash QuakeGW. Numbers are going up. People are a lot more people joining, which is beautiful. But uh, I listened to the Exodus album. And let me go over some of my favorite tracks. The first track, that's my dog. I like Bath Salts. I like um, Hold Me Down. I like Skyscrapers. I like Walking in the Rain and Letter to My Son. Those are probably my favorite records. Take Control with Snoop Dogg, too. But majority of the album, and this is what I said on the Twitch stream, it sounds outdated production-wise, and the hooks are fucking garbage. So those two things, and then the third thing is a lot of these songs only featured one verse from DMX. Now, Swiss Beats has revealed that DMX has approved this whole album besides one change that he made. On the track Money, Money, Money featuring Moneybag Yo, that was originally a track featuring Pop Smoke. But since they already used that Pop Smoke verse for something else, they decided to take Pop Smoke off that. And I'm glad they did because Pop Smoke does not fit that type of beat. I was expecting some like, you know, Pop Smoke sounding beat, some drill UK sounding shit that sounds crazy. So, yeah, they took that out, blah, blah, blah. But that was my three problems. The beats sound outdated. DMX was spitting only one verse on a lot of these tracks. And the hooks were fucking garbage a lot of the time. Now, Alicia Keys, Bono, and a few of these artists saved these hooks and helped DMX a lot. But, man, people are not liking this album. And I give it a 7 out of 10. The, the feedback on this album is not good. Even the projection on sales is not good. Right now, it is expected. And usually when an artist passes, they get a number one album whenever it's a posthumous album. It expect, it's expected to move 28,000 to 32,000 copies this first week with 12,000 to 14,000 of those coming from pure album sales. That means he could end up in the Billboard Top 10 but won't be the number one album, which is crazy because the feedback on it has been bad. And Swiss B said this is what DMX approved. This is what he wanted. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, they could have done a lot better with this, especially with the production, guys. Production is mad outdated on this. It really disappointed me. I was expecting like, yo, DMX on some new shit and just something brand new and fresh. And we get something stuck in the 2000s again, which is, that's what I'm saying. This is my point. Another thing that I want to go on a rant on again, stop saying we want the old artists because if you don't want the no old artists, because when that happens, it sounds outdated. So don't, don't force an artist to stay in an old lane with old beats and shit. This is what happens. You get outdated sounding material. doesn't work well. And boom. You know, the album is not going to be a number one album, which is unfortunate. This album should have gone number one. The, the, the execution on it should have been a little bit better. Production should have been better. If DMX approved this, they should have sat DMX down and be like, yo, we got to work on some newer sounds, man, because this ain't it. But Swiss Beats did confirm he does have a lot of material with DMX. They might release a second posthumous album down the line. They said they recorded a lot of video footage when DMX was recording in the studio. They even released the official music video for House Blues where DMX is in the studio recording. So they got a lot of footage that they can work with and maybe put a documentary and all that stuff out. Um, but yeah, um, let's go over. Wait, hold up. I, just, I haven't finished the new music. I'm tripping. I was already about to skip through everything. Uh, yeah, the DMX thing just disappointed me. Um, Eminem also released a new track called The Killer Remix with Jack Harlow and Corday. I like I like it. Uh, Jack Harlow delivered. Corday delivered. I like Eminem work with a new artist. It's a great record. Will I be bumping it again? Probably not. Just a great record to listen to. It doesn't really have much replay value, but you know it's good to see Eminem work with other artists. Uh, you got other records with Earth Gang featuring Wale and Coyle Ray. Options Remix that released. Hot Boy with Future. Nobody Special. That was a dope track with a music video that came out. Uh, Kushice, which I'm probably pronouncing this guy's name. Kushice, whatever, featuring Snot. Tell him. Uh, the Kawhi album that's supposed to come out. Kawhi Leonard, yes, the basketball player. He has a album coming out now with him rapping but a bunch of rappers nba young uh young boy and rod wave released the first single off that which is everything different ogz featuring the baby get flag also got released um pmb rock with sway lee and pink sweats forever never also got released a few tracks man a few things that came out and um yeah let's go over the album sales so here's the industry plant this girl Olivia Rodrigo, I don't know where the fuck she came out of, but she's killing it. Uh, she debuted at number one on the album, doing 286,000 copies the first week, which knocked J. Cole out of the number one spot. But J. Cole, the second week, is doing 92,000 copies at number two. Then you got 21 Pilots, 
uh, scale than Icy. Um, at number three, debuting with 73,000 copies. Then you got Moneybag Yo at number five with the Gangsta's Pain at 51,000 copies. Now you got Pooh Shiesty, which I predicted is going to go back up because of the deluxe that came out. Shiesty season is at 36,000 copies at number six. 42 Doug's Freedom Boys Project debuted at number seven with 31,000 copies. Um, you got Pop Smoke still in the top 10 with Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon at number 10 with 29,000 copies. Uh, let's see. Young Stoner Life, 24,000 copies at number 17. Lil Baby My Turn at number 19 with 21,000 copies. Juice World at number 20 with Legends Never Die at 20,000 copies. Post Malone Hollywood's Bleeding still on the charts at number 21 with 20,000 copies. Polo G the Goat, which he announced his upcoming album Hall of Fame coming out as well in June. I believe it's not this upcoming June, not this week, but the next week. Um, this is still doing good at 18,000 copies at number 23. Lil Dirk The Voice at number 31 with 17,000 copies. So, yeah, Eminem is still on there. Music To Be Murdered By came back on the charts at 15,000 copies at number 39. Nipsey Hussle's Victory Lap is back on the charts. That's interesting. Number 41 with 14,000 copies. That's interesting. I wonder what, what made that happen. Huh. But, yeah, um, we'll keep our eye out on DMX, what he does next week. Um, but, yeah. Let's see, what was I going to talk about quick? Kind of just slipped my mind. What was I going to talk about quick? Lloyd Banks dropping an album this upcoming Friday. Uh, I just want to say you guys join me on Twitch. It's going to be a crazy event. This is G-Unit. I'm a G-Unit stand, as you guys know. So I want to hear what Banks has to say. Um, I'm going to be on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash QuakeGW. We're going to bump that album. And the next day, I'm going to stream again, and I'm going to bump the Lil Baby and Lil Dirk album. I don't want to bump them at the same time because I want to enjoy them and just listen and kind of take it. But, yeah, I'm going to do streaming back-to-back -back on Friday. Actually, on Thursday night, which is the release of Banks' album, and then Friday night, which is Lil Baby and Lil Dirk. So join me on that. I appreciate it. Of course, as you guys know, stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, all these streaming platforms. We're out on them. Uh, stream us on YouTube, all that shit. Appreciate the support daily. It means the world to me, as you guys know. I hope you guys have an amazing day, night, whatever it is. Be safe and peace.